We are still reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, so if you will take your Bibles, you can turn and follow along with us. Today we're going to begin by looking at chapter 8, and we'll begin to read it in just a few minutes. We started reading 1 Corinthians by reading the end first. We read 1 Corinthians 15, and we saw that Paul is saying, you are resurrection people, you followers of Jesus Christ, and it changes the way you live. These were new Christians. They hadn't been following Jesus very long. Most of them didn't know the Scriptures. Some of them were Jewish people who knew the Old Testament. But for the most part, these were people who'd been pagans a few months or a few years before. They didn't know what it meant to really follow Jesus. They had been baptized. They wanted to follow Jesus. But uh, Paul tells us in other places that our mind has to be transformed and renewed, that the way we think, the way we've learned to think about things, value things, from living in this pagan world that doesn't really know God, we, we've gotten wrong thought processes, and that might be our intention to Paul, and they've turned to, you were the founding pastor here in our group, and so we're writing to you and asking you, what do we do about some different things? Now, most of you, not all of you, because some of you, you know, you were born after people quit reading newspapers, but some of you know about Dear Abby, and you could read through this book, and he, he quotes, the, he says, now about, every time it says now about, that means that he is changing topics and going to the next question that they had. So it's like, he, it's like Paul's writing a blog, you know, here's how to follow Jesus. So people are, are checked into the blog, and, and he's answering the letter that they sent to him. So it could be, you could read this and think, oh, this is just a string of questions and just a string of unrelated objects, but that is not Paul's intent at all. Paul is, knows he's heading towards chapter 15. He didn't know it was going to be chapter 15, but he knew where he was headed. We are people of the resurrection. Life is different for us. We don't base our decisions on the present circumstances that we face. Our life is based on the fact that Jesus Christ has given us eternal life, that death has lost its sting, it has no victory, that Jesus Christ is Lord over all, even though it may not appear like it as we look around today. And we have been transformed and brought into the family of God because of Jesus Christ. So, so he's heading that place and what he's doing, I don't know if you've started picking up on it yet, because we're here at chapter 8, halfway through the book. I don't know if you've picked up. There is a theme. There is an underlying way to know what the will of God is, even if somebody hasn't told you how to live in certain kinds of circumstances. There is something that undergirds it all. So these people whose thinking was mostly controlled by their pagan culture because their minds had not been transformed yet are listening to Paul to find out how do you know how to live if you're following 
Jesus. Remember, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. How do you know how to live? How do resurrection people live in a pagan culture? And that's very relevant for us today. So last week, as we read chapter 7, actually chapters 7, 8, and 9 are, are, are very much related, even though you might say, no, they're each one about a completely different topic. Not really. Chapter 7, 8, and 9, he addresses pagan thinking, and what they are asking is, what are my rights? What can I do? I want to know how much liberty I have, and can I do what I want to do? So last week, we read chapter 7, where he talked about their sexual rights. And we saw what he had to say to those who are married. He said, the wife yields to her husband. That was the first thing he said. And a lot of people quit reading there. They say, oh, this guy, he's just some kind of jerk. Another man telling women they got to do whatever the men say. Paul gets a lot of bad press because people don't keep reading. He uses the very same words in the next sentence. He says, the husband is to yield to the wife because they are living in love for one another. It's not about who's going to be in control. May I love promise when they get both shall live. Love and cherish. Which is a whole lot more than stay, just simply staying out of somebody else's bed. That's a piece of it. But there's a whole lot more goes into loving and cherishing, and we all know it. And all of us who have been married, we, we know we didn't do it perfectly. Mm. There were times we weren't doing a lot of loving and cherishing. But that's what we promised to do. So, they're saying, what are my rights there? And today, the, in the, the thing that they, they ask him about in chapter 8, once again, it's, what are my rights? What can I claim? Just leave me alone here and let me do what I want to do. What are my rights? Now, as we read this, you may say, this is completely irrelevant to me living in the United States in the 20th century. No, it's not. Because the principle, maybe the exact topic doesn't pertain to your life, but the principle of his answers, they very much pertain to all of our lives. So let us read the Word of God. We're going to begin at verse 1 of chapter 8. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, probably hadn't been on your mind a whole lot. We know that we all possess knowledge. When, when, they, when the translators put the words in the, in, in the uh, quotation marks, they are saying, this is what's a part of the letter they sent. This is what they said to Paul. So he says, Paul says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, 
we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better if we do. <clears throat> Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. So, you probably have no idea where you can go to even find some meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. That's not an issue. But the issue that Paul brings up, they want to know about meat sacrificed to idols. Paul wants to talk to them about what it means to go. The cities around the Mediterranean generally had lots and lots of temples. Lots and lots of temples. If you were, for instance, to go to Rome today and go to the Roman Forum, most of the ruins, many, many of the ruins, and some of the buildings that in fact have been preserved, were originally temples. Everywhere there are temples. And the most prominent place, besides all these temples that are down here in this valley that's the Forum, the most prominent place is the Capitoline Hill, which was the site of the biggest, grandest temple of them all. And in each temple, there was a statue, a statue of the god. And the people understood that the statue was the god and that the god lived in the temple. The temple was the house of a god. So many of the statues have not survived, but there are places you can go and you can actually see some of the idols. So this, this looks to me like a woman. I don't, I don't know if it looks like a woman to you or not, but it's not. It's Apollo. Apollo's the god who drives the chariot called the sun across the sky every day, they thought. And he's the god of music, you can see. He's holding a lyre, and he, he had other things he was responsible for as well. So you've heard of Apollo. Let's look at the next one. This is the god of healing. If you got sick, you went to his temple. And, and you prayed and asked that you would be cured. Let's look at the next one. This is Hera. Yes. Decided I better turn around and look again, make sure. This is Hera, the wife of Jupiter, the one who was the king of all the gods. 
And then there is Athena, who is a war goddess. And, and so they went to the temples of these gods. They offered, animals were killed as sacrifices. Part of the meat, part of the animal, was usually burned up as a gift to the god. Part of it was given to the priest who did the sacrifice as a, as a part of their pay. And part of, it, part of it was roasted, and the people who offered the sacrifice and their friends gathered around at the house of the the god, the temple, and they ate it together, and it was a celebration. Oh, we've, we've sacrificed this. God's going to help us. It was just a time of celebration. And then sometimes if there was meat left over, and this meat that was left over was sold at a bargain price. Cut-rate meat, yes. You know, on sale. Wonderful. And so, these Christians, these are Christians. They'd been pagans before, most of them. And so they want to know, do we have to pay for the full price meat or can we eat the meat that's offered to idols because it's cheaper? And besides, sometimes people, we're at friends or something and they offer us meat and it's offered to idols. It's been offered to idols. So is it contaminated meat? Is it an immoral thing for us to eat this meat? They said, we know there is only one God, the Father of Jesus, the High King of Heaven. We know there's only one God. We know these statues are not gods. We know they're rocks that someone carved to look like some superhuman. So how can rocks make this cheap meat or cheaper meat? How can they make it bad and ruin it so that we're not allowed to eat it? Don't we have a right to eat it? And Paul's answer is, yes, you do. There's, you're right. You're absolutely right. There is only one God. And, and this meat, though it was offered to a statue, it was offered to a statue. It didn't do a thing to the meat. <clears throat> eat it. It's fine. <clears throat> It's not going to spiritually contaminate or damage you if you eat this meat. But, he said, I don't know if you noticed, he says, but, it's very clear there, since there's something else you need to consider, not is, is this meat contaminated. That's not the main thing. He says, the main thing is, <clears throat> though you may know that these gods are just rocks standing up in these temples. <clears throat> you may know there's only one God, and you may know that there's nothing wrong with this meat. It's just meat, used meat. You may know this. Perhaps your brother and sister does not. You've all been living in this pagan culture. You, most of you, have participated in sacrifices to these very rocks that you say are not gods. Correctly, they're not gods. And you know what goes on when you sit around with your friends in the t at the temple eating with the god, supposedly. We've talked about this before as we've been going through the book, how, how most of the temples, many of the temples, 
had large groups of temple prostitutes, both men and women, who stood around. So you're here eating, and there they are standing around. And if you make a little bit larger gift to the to the temple, well, then you get to to partake of the services of these prostitutes. So this whole eating and drinking the food that's been offered to the idol, in some people's minds, they begin to mem remember the whole experience, and it's a great, it's, it's not just, can I eat the cut-rate meat? It is, no, there's this whole experience, and there's these memories of things they did and things they experienced when they were eating at the temple the food that was sacrificed to the idols. And he said, for them, it's not just the cheap meat. They may be followers of Jesus, but for them, there's a whole package of stuff attached to it. And eating it is going to lead them down through these memories and will lead them to places where they should not go. It will lead them into temptation. It will remind them of desires that they had and things that they did, and, and it will begin to pull them back to where Christ has delivered them from, the things He delivered them from. And so, He says, you don't just need to think about your pocketbook and how much the meat costs. You need to think about your brother and sister. It's kind of like some people, you probably have friends who, who at one time were addicted to some kind of chemical, whether it's alcohol or, or uh, nicotine or, or some kind of drugs. You, you probably know somebody that has had this kind of addiction. And they, they tell you, it has been five years. I've been sober for five years, and that is something to celebrate. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Should applaud. That's, that's absolutely great. But they start thinking, hmm, it's been five years. I'm doing really great. I can handle this. So they start going out with the folks at work after... Uh, after, you know, to, to some place, and everybody's getting drinks, and so they start with a Coke. After a few, few weeks or maybe a few months, they start saying, I can have a drink. I've had... They said, you addicted. You don't know what it's like to be sober afterwards. I've licked this thing. I'm okay. Every time I've seen people who have done that, every time, every time, not just a lot of the time, they were not able to control it. They ended, right, they ended up right back, and actually in worse places much of the time, than they had been in the first time around. And it wasn't that they just decided one day, well, I think I'm going to go get Go revive my addiction. They had no intention of ever being addicted again. They just said, oh, I'm in this setting. And the setting brought back memories. And it's like, honestly, what's the big deal? I can handle this. And they couldn't. And Paul says, you eating meat that's been sacrificed to an idol 
in the presence of some folks, they're not just going to be having a burger. They're going to be sitting there eating a burger, and all of these memories are going to be flooding their mind, memories that are better not in their mind at all, and they're going to be led into temptation because of your freedom, which is based on the truth. It's based on the truth that it's just a rock. There's nothing wrong with this meat. He said, you're absolutely right. But at the same time, they're going to be destroyed. So he said, the issue, the issue for you, follower of Jesus, is not, is there anything wrong with doing this thing? He said, that one was an, that one was an easy deal. The e issue is, is participating in this activity or that activity, is that showing love for my brothers and sisters? Or am I bringing destruction on somebody else? Paul said, not only will I give up meat offered to idols, if it's, if, if it's necessary to keep someone from being, being um, led down the wrong path by seeing what I do, I'll just become a vegetarian. I won't eat meat at all. Now, for some of you, you say, well, good for you, Paul. You'll be healthier. Others of you think, that is the craziest thing I ever heard. And he said, it's more important for me to care for my brothers and sisters and to try to encourage them and help them and certainly not become a stumbling block. That's the word that he uses. Not, not cause them to fall and end up back in destruction where they've, they've been rescued from that by Jesus. It's more important that I limit my rights and my freedom, give them up, because I care I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul says, I don't do everything I can do. We have lots of freedom in Jesus. He says, but I give up my freedom because I love them and want them to get strong enough so that they won't end up in destruction all over again. So that's what he's saying here. Then he goes on into chapter 9. And uh, chapter 9, he's talking about, is it okay for him to get paid as a preacher? But he has a reason for talking about it. He's not through talking about giving up your rights for the sake of your brother or sister to help them. He just brings it up because, you know, people are often interested about preachers and money. And so, in their culture, there weren't just Christian preachers. There were all kinds of philosophers and gurus and stuff that would come along, and they would teach people, and they would, that's the way all these pagan fizzled the ox. But he says, that was God's intention. He says, you don't muzzle the ox that is threshing the, the grain. He's supposed to get to eat as much as he wants. He said, do you think God was really concerned about cows? He said, no, he wrote this for us so that we would understand. Those who serve us, we, we give to them. But he says, neither Barnabas nor I, neither of us, the rest of the apostles take the money. 
the, the brothers of Jesus, they take the money of the people they teach. But he says, I have not, and neither has Barnabas. And the reason we haven't is because everybody has stories or has heard stories about these traveling teachers who are just out to, to dupe the gullible and get their money out of them, and then they're going to take off and leave town. And he said, I didn't want anybody to think that's what I was doing. So I had a right to expect that you would take care of me, but I didn't let you do it because I didn't want you to think that. I didn't want anyone to stumble and refuse to hear the gospel message because they said, he's just another one of these people out to get my money. I'm not going to be that stupid. So he says, I worked. And he did. We know what he did. He was a tent maker, or he worked with canvas. He didn't just make tents. There was the people who worked with canvas. There was lots of use for canvas in those days. Remember, it was a seaport. The boats moved. The ships moved because of the wind. Big sails, lots of canvas going on there. Awnings. Uh, uh, all kinds of uses for canvas. And so somebody had to sew up the edges and do what needed done for the ropes to go through and all the different kinds of things. And yes, tents as well. So, so Paul made his own living and did not allow the churches to give him anything because he said, I don't want people to think I'm in it for the money. Though he said, it's, that's, that's really legitimate to be paid. I gave it up for you. I gave up my rights for you. And he says, that's the way we're supposed to be as followers of Jesus. You see, he's going he's to really <clears throat> wrap all this up when he gets to chapter 13. It's called the love chapter where he says, if you're a follower of Jesus, it is love, not desire, not desire, love, where instead of thinking about what I want, what is my right, they're going to respect me. Paul was never worried about being respected. He said, I'm a child of Jesus Christ. So why do I need to worry about what you think of me? the Lord of the universe, I know what he thinks a bit about me, so I'm okay. So, so he says, I, I let all that go for the sake of loving people and helping them know Jesus. I'll give up my rights, which is basically what he was saying in chapter 7 to husbands and wives. He said, love each other. It's not about rights. It's about you giving what you can for the benefit of the other. Meat offered to idols. He said, well, you're right. It doesn't matter, except that it matters to some folks. So, so you give up your right to eat the cheap, the cheap meat because you love them and you don't want them to fall. He said, I gave up my right to be paid by you. Because I didn't ourselves to benefit. So we know what Jesus said. It's back in Matthew chapter 16. He said to his disciples, 
whoever will come after me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. And he meant it. We don't, we kind of take that as a, oh, okay, there's going to be some self-denial. No, he says, instead of focusing on yourself at all, you focus upon giving love, the love of God. Trust God to be the provider of all that you need. And you give, you deny yourself. He really meant it. And so, Jesus did that. The Son of God, it says in Philippians, did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the very nature of a servant and became a human being and was crucified for us. He was not trying to claim any rights. He was trying to love us and help us to see that we need to be reconciled to God the Father. So we all have relationships, and some of them are irritating. Some of them are worse than irritating. So what does a Christ follower do? A Christ follower says, I will love. Regardless of all the details, I'm going to allow the love of Christ to be what guides my life. So let us pray. Father, <clears throat> when we began to follow Jesus, we had no idea what denying ourselves really meant. We thought we did, but our knowledge was really so partial. And now we have followed him more, and we know more, but you know just how great our lack of knowledge is. So we bow before you and we say, transform us, renew our thinking, help us to see and think like you. Transform our hearts so that we are always givers of love, motivated by, by giving to meet the needs of others instead of by acquiring to meet the desires of ourselves. Give us the freedom that that brings. Help us to trust you with these difficult situations, these difficult relationships. We thank you that you are a giver, a lover. Otherwise, we would be doomed. But you loved us when we certainly didn't deserve any of it, and you chose us, and you rescued us from our sin. And we are so grateful. And you've given us this meal to share together to remind ourselves of your great love and giving and your call to us to allow your spirit to live in us and through us 
to bring love into this broken world. And so we ask that you would send our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who on the night he was betrayed took bread and said, this is my body which is given for you. And after supper he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. So we remember his death, his giving, his resurrection, the fact that he is Lord of all and will come again. And we ask that you would use this meal in our lives to help us to relinquish our grip on our rights and our desires and allow them to be replaced with your love and your grace. Renew our minds, transform our hearts, for we want to be truly disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Let us stand together and let us join with one another in proclaiming our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.